Morning, everybody. If I haven't met you, I'm Jonathan. I get to be pastor here, and it's good to be with us this morning. We are continuing this theme we started last Sunday called Impossible Life, and looking at how, and I just, I really have an, a sense, an expectancy about this, that the life that God has for us, for each one of us, is not just like a, a, a you slightly better kind of life. Like a more moral, more organized, more together, not quite as many problems kind of life. But that the life that God invites us into and brings us into is an impossible life. That we cannot live by our own power. But it's a life that Jesus makes available to us and brings us into. And, it's a, and we, so we kicked this off last week. Dave was here and did a great job. Talk Dave Diefendorf from Kansas City, um, getting going on this. We're going to continue today, um, but as I was thinking about this, I thought about my dog, Theo. Some of you have met Theo. We've got a couple pictures here of Theo. Yeah, Theo is adorable. Theo is a, Theo's a pretty darn good dog, all right? He's, he's friendly. He's good with kids. He's pretty happy-go-lucky. He, he loves to play, um, not too obnoxious. He's just kind of like, we've had three dogs of this breed, he's a Havanese, and he's the best so far. It might be because he was the runt of the litter, um, at least in my mind, I don't know, my kids might disagree. But he was, he's just, he's, he gets along well, doesn't cause too many problems. And that's good because we have a lot going on in our family, and it's easy for Theo to get overlooked and not get the attention probably that we would love to give him. Um, but he's, he, he, he just, he fits in well. But I, so... But it's one thing I've noticed about Theo is that, you know, I start feeling sorry for him a little bit. And we're kind of strict. Like, we have rules that, hey, we don't want you barking too much when people come to the front door. We don't want you going down in the basement. That's off limits. That's kind of us just reminding you that you're a dog. And there are boundaries here. And we don't want you, we, you don't, we don't want you climbing on our furniture. And so every once in a while, we kind of make exceptions. And we'll, like, you know, we'll let him sit on someone's lap on the couch. Or what I like to do is he, he, he eats the same dog food every day, and, but I loved, I, he loves it if we add a little something extra in there. So I'll add, I, I eat yogurt most mornings, and so I'll just take like a spoonful of yogurt and mix it in his, his dish, and he just loves it. I mean, he's just like, that food that he'll maybe like ignore for half the day by playing, but you put a little yogurt in and it's like snarfed down in about 26 seconds. It's just like, so good. But there's a problem, is that I've noticed like one spoonful of yogurt and a couple of like touches like this, and it's like the inner wolf in Theo wakes up. And there, there's, this wild, there's this slight wild look in his eye that kind of starts opening up. And he starts getting pretty uppity. He starts like feeling his oats and like starting to bark more and bark at the front door, bark at neighbors, neighbor dogs. He starts like bending the rules or breaking the rules. And I'm like, man, I wanna, I wanna give you these blessings, but it's, it's this, this tension because if I give you very much, you don't handle it very well. You, you can't handle it very well. And I, this is similar to us. It's, it's been called God's Dilemma that he loves to bless people, he wants to bless us, but we tend to, to not handle the blessings very well. 
we tend to like, it goes to our head and, and we like forget about the one who gave it to us. And we kind of feel like, oh yeah, I'm all that. And so there's this tension that God, God lives with or God deals with. It's like, man, how do I like bless people, but in a way that actually helps them. And there's this, um, <clears throat> this reality with God is that the way that God always, God, God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. God always, and this is, that's, in the, in, that's, a, that's a Bible verse, and that's a principle all throughout Scripture, that where God finds humility and open hearts, he pours out grace. But where there's pride, he resists us. And so we see that all through in, in the Beatitudes, the famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts out. And if we just kind of look quickly at the first few of these, um, it, it, we, we see this. It says in, in Matthew 5, 2, Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We could think about theirs is the impossible life. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Wow, big, big reward for being meek there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So we see in all of these examples that there are people that, that recognize their need, that know that they need something. They need God. They're not God. And they're looking to God for something, and there is a reward that comes to them. And there are, you know, kind of to look at what we're going to talk about today, there are, to come into this impossible life that God has for us, there are two things that have to happen. One, we have to recognize our need. We have to come to the end of ourself. When we, when we come to the end of ourself and realize that, man, I'm broken, I, I need help, I need God, that's the starting point of God bringing us into something more. That's the starting point of God bringing us into this impossible life that he has for us. And that's actually really good news because that means like anybody qualifies. Like to have this this impossible life, this fullness of life, the kind of life that we can't live on our own. It's not about us making it happen, but it's God who gives it to us if we just come to the end of ourselves and say, oh man, I need you. God, I'm, I'm humble, I need you. Anybody can experience that. So it's recognizing our need. And then there's something else that happens, and it's what I'm calling as the title of this message. It's exchanging our assets exchanging our assets for his. This is like the story of the, when Jesus fed 5,000 people. There was a situation where he was teaching 5,000 plus people, and they were all hungry, and you know what happens when you get hungry? You get hangry. They were, they were starting to get hangry, and they're like, the disciples came to him and were like, Lord, we're, we need to send these people away because they need to eat. And there's a need here. They recognize the need. And Jesus said, well, you feed him. They're like, we can't feed him. He's like, hey, well, what do you have? We don't have anything. They're like, well, what do you have? Oh, well, all we got is five loaves of bread and two fish. He's like, okay, just bring those to me. Bring what you have. Bring your assets to me. And he, they brought those assets. Jesus prayed, on, prayed, prayed for those, blessed them, and they multiplied. And it fed 5,000 people. That's what God does. We come to the end of ourselves, 
We see our need. We say, God, we need you. And he says, I, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to do it. I just want one thing. I want what you got. I want your assets. And whatever those assets are, if we bring them to him, then he'll take them and multiply them. And so that's actually kind of easier. That's why it's easier to start serving God when you're young than when you're old. Because God says, hey, bring me your assets. You're like, hey, I got $75 in my bank and a phone. <laughs> all right, God, I give you all my assets, Lord. You got my whole life. You got everything. That's a lot easier to do than when you got $750,000 in your 401k. And God's like, hey, I own everything. You can bring me your assets. It's easier to start when you don't, when you don't have much. Um, but the principles are true no matter what. Um, and so we're going to look today at an individual who Jesus met who wanted this impossible life and was invited into it, but he didn't experience it because he wasn't willing to exchange his assets for what God wanted to do. And this is the story of he's now become known as the rich young ruler. He was a, a young guy. His, this story is, is told in three of the gospel accounts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we know that he was young, we know that he was wealthy, and we know he was a ruler, probably a, a synagogue ruler, probably a religious, you know, it's kind of a religious slash pseudo-political leader in Israel at the time. Um, and so Matthew chapter 19, we're going to read through the story and just, just talk about it. <clears throat> Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. And behold... A man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And it's, we have, are really kind of like how we've been framed with what we've heard religiously. We can misunderstand this so easily. But when this guy is saying to have eternal life, he's not only asking, what do I need to go to heaven when I die? That wasn't even really much of the mindset of the Jewish people of like life after death and going to heaven when you die. He was really speaking of a quality of life, an infinite life. This is literally, it's, it's, li it's age-long life or life of the ages. It's speaking of the, the, the age to come that the Jewish people understood that the Messiah was going to bring in this, this golden age of shalom and blessing on the earth. Like what... What do I need to do to enter into this, this kind of eternal life? And so eternal life is what we have the opportunity to experience after we die. But Jesus makes it available beginning now. And I believe this man, like he was living with a sense of, man, there's, I'm missing out. There's some quality of life. There's this impossible life that I want to experience it. But I realize, like, I, I have... The position, I have the bank account, but I don't have this impossible life. So good teacher, what must I do to inherit this eternal life? And we're going to come back to this, but it's interesting that he, we, a lot of us who, who have any sort of like evangelical background, Protestant background, it's been drilled into us that, you know, hey, we don't get salvation and what God has for us by what we do. It's through faith. It's through what Jesus did. It's by grace. It's not works. But Jesus, but this guy's asking, what must I do to inherit this eternal life? And it's going to be interesting because Jesus doesn't say what we would often say. Like, oh, hey, it's not what you do. You just need to pray this prayer, and you'll get this eternal life. That's not Jesus' answer. 
There, it does have to do with what he does to come in to this life. And so, verse 17, Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who's good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. You know, there's, it's interesting that Jesus, he brings the, the question to, hey, why are you asking me what's good? There's only one who's good. He's kind of asking, hey, who, what do you think about who I am? Because ultimately, the man's ability to come into this impossible life was going to have everything to do with who he sought Jesus to be. And that's true for us. It's not like, hey, how, what principles can you apply and how moral can you be? But who do you believe Jesus is? And Jesus realized that this guy's conception of who he was was incomplete. He had an incomplete understanding of who Jesus was. And so he saw that he was good. And that wasn't going to be enough. He needed to see Jesus as more than a good teacher, more than a good man for him to come in to this impossible life. He was going to have to see that he was the Messiah, that he was the king, that he was, was the Lord. Um, and so he's, hey, why do you call me that? There's only one who's good. And then, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. There it is again. It's not, if you would enter life, pray this prayer and ask for your sins to be forgiven. He says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. So, you know, if you're a Protestant, you should have some, like, fuses blowing in your head a little bit. Like, wait, wait, well, he's saying you keep this, it's by obeying God's commandments that we enter into this life. Um, isn't that works? And, but this, I, it's very important that we realize that entering into the life that God has for us has everything to do with seeing who he is and obeying him. We cannot enter into this life until we recognize that he is Lord and then begin a life of obedience to him. You, that's, that's how we enter into this life. And there you can um, obey the commands for the wrong reasons. You can obey commands because you think, like, oh, if I do enough, then I'm earning God's favor, and I'm earning my salvation, and... I'm, this is who I am, and that's, that's the wrong way to approach it. That's really kind of us being God. That's kind of like, okay, by what I do, I'm going to accomplish something. But if we're from a different place of saying, wait, no, you are God. You are Lord. Therefore, what you say directs my life. Okay, because I believe that you are Lord, now the evidence of that is that I will obey you. If I believe you, then I will obey you. So, uh, Jesus says, if you would enter into life, obey the commandments. Verse 18, the man said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus lists out here, he lists out five of the Ten Commandments, and then he lists another commandment from the hundreds of commands in the Old Testament. This is one that kind of sums up a lot of the commands, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And that, if you show the next slide here, 
there, if we see the, the list of the Ten Commandments, it's interesting that the first four commands have to do with our worship of God and our belief in God. And then the next six have to do with how we, how we honor God by honoring and loving people. And the ones that Jesus listed, he skipped the first column, and he did the first five of the second column. He did all the ones that have to do with how you treat people, except the last one is really more about your heart. Don't covet. But he, he basically, he, he listed the easiest ones, I think. He listed the ones that you could, that you could obey without really Jesus having the place of being, without God being God in your life. And I'm not exactly sure why Jesus did this, but it's interesting. I think he, he listed the ones that the man had the best chance that he was doing the best. And so the man, um, we, we go on and it says, that verse 20, the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? You know, I... <clears throat> This, this is good because, again, the guy has everything going for him, naturally. But in his heart, he knows, man, this is not, I am not there. Like, there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing right now. I, I am yearning for something beyond what I'm living in right now. And I've, I'm doing this. I'm doing what I know how to do. But... And it's not there. And that's, again, the starting point of coming into the impossible life is realizing we need. Realizing we need God. Realizing that we're not satisfied with where we're at. But to say, God, there's got to be more. There's got to be more to this life. I, I, was, I feel like I was made for more. And he's, he's in this place. And that's, that, that's so, so key. He's, he's got the opportunity because of that to come into something so much more. And Jesus... His answer, I want to look at how it says it in Mark first, because I think this it includes a detail that's really good. Mark says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him. Jesus is like, all right. You want this. And he looks at us. Like, hey, you're feeling this lack. You're feeling this that's not there. I, you're, you're feeling it, and I, I care about you, and I want you to come into it as well. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And said to him, just come up on my lap and be intimate with me. No, he didn't say that. Sorry, that's, that's what it, sometimes people say. He didn't say, pray a prayer. He said, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Wow, this doesn't sound very nice. I mean, have you ever done that? Like, you really care about someone, and you want the best for them, and so you're like, hey, Fred, just go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me, and you'll be good. You know, I mean, that's like not what normal, but this, Jesus, this is what, what he gives the guy. It's like, hey, you want an impossible life. This is the way to do it. Go sell all you got and give it to the poor and come follow me. And then you're going to have this treasure. You're going to have treasure in heaven. You're going to have an account that's beyond what you can imagine. And you're going to get what you're looking for. Why, you know, why, why did Jesus ask him to, to sell all that he had? This, he didn't ask everyone to do that. 
Although we see, you know, we're going to see this more, that this was a normal thing, a common thing for people to, to give away their possessions. Um, but Jesus knew that this man needed to come to the end of his self, that there was still something he was loving more than God, and it was his possessions. There was still something he was trusting more than God, and it was his assets. It was the stuff he had. And for him to come to the end of himself, he had to, to let go of those things. He had to really come to the first half of the Ten Commandments, of recognizing that, no, God is God, nothing above God. But that money was his idol. That was more, he was trusting in that more than, more than Jesus. And for him to come into this impossible life, he was going to have to let go of that, to come into that. And so, you know, we're like, well, that's, you know, good thing that was him, not us, right? Good thing he doesn't ask us to do that, because that's pretty tough. He, would, he wouldn't do that, right? Not to us. Not to, you know, sweet little me and you. But good news I have for you is, yes, he does. He does the same thing to us. He says, hey, to come to this impossible life, you've got to give me everything. You've got to give me everything. And you've got to give me control of, of, of your reputation, of your identity, of your assets, of your money, your future, your job, your family. You've got to give it to me. And a lot of times we've got, we got assets without realizing we have assets. We have things that we are, that are important, that have more of a hold in our life than we realize. We have things that have more of a place in our life than we realize. I remember I had been walking with God for a number of years, and more than a year, I had started following God as a, as a child. And then in college, I like really took it up a notch. And I was, um, I was at the University of Kansas, and I had walked onto the track team. And that was a dream of mine. Like, I, had, I did track was my favorite sport. I love sports. And I was able to walk on the track team. And they let me join somehow. I'm not sure. You know, it was def definitely a stretch, but I was, I was there. And, but, I, but also, I was like, I didn't really think that it was that important to me. In fact, I, I kind of like, I didn't want to be the guy that was just a jock. I always, I thought like, this is, you know, something I do, but that's not my real identity. You know, I mean, I'm a Christian, and, and I want to be a smart guy, and I, like, this isn't that important to me, really. Um, so then my sophomore year of college, I, I sensed that I believe God was calling me, to, that he was saying, hey, it's time, I want you to walk away from being on the track team. And I actually, like, it wasn't that hard of a decision. I was like, okay, I, I think this is you, and it just, it seems right. Like, this, there's a lot, like, that I haven't fulfilled yet. I would like to see how far I could go, but I, I think this is what I should do. I just felt like I needed to focus my time more in, 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 what I was, in other areas um, where I was learning and growing. And so I did that. And, but it was interesting, it wasn't until, it was after I did that, that I realized I felt kind of vulnerable walking around and going through my life. Like, I felt like, wait, people don't know that I'm an athlete now. <laughs> like, I always thought, like, no, I don't want people to think I'm an athlete. But I remember just, like, there was, there was more there than I realized. There was, like, wow, people don't realize, like, I, I really accomplished a lot, you know? Like, I really, like, I was, I've achieved quite a bit of this, in this endeavor, and, like, this was, this was how, like, even though I, like, kind of poo-pooed it, like, that was how, in high school and stuff, people had seen me. 
And so I was like, no, I don't need that. But it really like had more of a place in me than I realized. And so it was walking through that, there was some inner, inner processing that happened. And a lot of times, you know, that's true for us. Like there's stuff that we're like, you know, I don't, I don't really, money doesn't have a hold of my life. Or, you know, my reputation, I don't really care what people think about me. Or God's got my schedule, he's got my time. No, I, you know, but those things, are, he's got my career, my future, the different things. But those, there may be more of a hold that those things have on us than we realize. Um, and so Jesus puts his finger on those things in our life and says, hey, I want you to trust me in this area. So what happens? Um, verse uh, 21, back in, back in Matthew, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. The, if you would be perfect. That word perfect, it's, the Greek is teleos. And it's not just, we think of perfect like moral perfection, like no mistakes. And, but there's a, this, I, this idea, it conveys of completion. It, it conveys arriving at the end or the goal. And so Jesus is saying, if you would fulfill the purpose of your life, if you would come into all that I have for you, if you would come into the impossible life that I have for you, you can, you can, you know, live the life you have now, and it's, it's got some things going for it. But if you, would, if you would come into more, if you want to come into this impossible life, go sell all you have and give to the poor, and follow me. And it says in verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Wow. He was given this opportunity but he was unwilling. He went away sorrowful because he wasn't willing to give up what it would cost him. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Like, what hope do we have? Like, if you got to be like a camel going through the eye of a needle to be saved, to come into this eternal life, this impossible life, like, who, this, how can it happen? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Wow. So they, you know, the disciples had the response we would have had. Like, how the heck can this happen? But Jesus says, hey, yeah, it is impossible. It's really, really difficult to be my disciple. It's going to cost you everything. But you know what? It's not just difficult. It's actually imp humanly impossible. It's actually you know, that analogy, like a, going through, a camel going through the eye of a needle, it's something you can't, it doesn't matter how many diets a camel goes through. It's not ever going to go through the eye of a needle. It doesn't matter how hard you try. Like, you are not going to be able to do that in your own self-effort. You're not going to be able to do that in your own natural ability. This is something that God has to do. 
This is something that, yes, you have to come to your end of yourself and give God responsibility for everything. But if you do that, then God will meet you in that place. And he will bring you into this life. Because it's what God does. This is an impossible life. This isn't just a difficult life. It's an impossible life. This is a God kind of life. It's something that if we can walk in, it's that he invites us into, it's, it's life that he brings about. And that's what being a Christian is. That's what, when the, the name Christian came about, was because they, people saw the disciples of Jesus and they were like, they're like little Christ. That's what the word means, little Christ. They're going around like that Jesus guy. Like they're living, like they got peace and joy and purpose and miracles are happening and transformation is happening. People, sick are getting healed. Demons are getting cast out. It's an impossible life. They're like little Christ. That's the life that God has for us. That's what it means to be a Christian, is it's a life that he brings us into as we trust him and give him everything. So Peter said in reply, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man, Peter was like, hey, wait a minute. I think we did this, actually. <laughs> like, we did leave everything. We did leave our family business and our family, and like, we're just following you. Like, so, man, hey, I, I don't know how, like, old knucklehead, sinner boy me, but somehow I think I'm in the right place. And that's kind of how, you know, our story, like, I don't, I think I did this, actually. I think I'm doing this. I, I don't, this seems impossible, but I think I have left everything. I am following you. And Jesus said, yeah. And it's truly I tell you, I say to you, in the new world where the Son of Man will sit, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. It's wild that the rich young ruler, he was a ruler. He had a place of influence and authority. But the place of authority that Jesus gives his disciples is much greater than what that guy had. And these disciples, these nobodies, who were following Jesus, they were coming into real authority. When we follow Jesus, we come into real authority. You know, I'm not saying that you're going to sit on one of the 12 tribes, one of the 12 thrones, thrones in the age to come. You know, that's for those 12. But there are. The Bible, the Bible says that we will rule and reign as kings and priests for eternity with Jesus as we follow him. And that that authority is in eternity, and it begins now. Like there's a place of true authority that we come into as we, as we come into this. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. There's this, this multiplication that happens. It's like, yeah, you give God your assets. You give God what you got. And Jesus says, I promise you, you'll get a hundred times more in this life. And then it really kicks in in the age to come. There are these, I mean, these guys, they, they left their homes. And then most of them lived and traveled the world. You know, they, le they left like Capernaum and Nazareth and their small world. And they ended up seeing the world. They ended up having brothers and sisters and moms and dads all over the world stayed in houses all over the place, had authority to change the world. And that's, I can say, man, I've experienced that. I've, it's amazing. Like, I go to cities all over the place, and there's a friend where I have a home to stay in. 
and just the blessings of God that he brings upon us as we follow him. Like there's an impossible life that we receive as we let go of those things and come into that. In verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Many who first will be last and the last first. There it is again. We just see our need and give our assets to God. We come into the impossible life. But when we hold on to our stuff, we hold on to control, then we end up being last. So, where does that bring us? I think some obvious questions are, man, do we see our need for God? Do we, do we see our need for God? Really? Like, do we really see our need for God? Do we really, like, and, and believe in Jesus? Do we really believe that the stuff that we need in life comes from Him? Do we really believe that what the desires of our heart come from Him? <clears throat> what are the things? Like, we all got our stuff. Like, maybe it's success, or maybe it's the approval of others, or money, or control, or all of the above, where it's like, yeah, but, you know, we, like, want to hold on to those things. But Jesus is saying, hey, give me, give me your assets. Give me those things that you want to rely on. Give me, give me that stuff. Give me your addictions. Give me your compulsions. Give me the stuff that has a grip on you. And... I'll exchange it for something so much better. Um, you know, if Jesus was, was asking, if you were the person in this story, it, it's an interesting question. It's probably something to think about. What would he ask you to give up? What would he say, hey, I want you to like, let go of this? If you would have this impossible life, this is my command for you. Let go of this. Trust me in this area. Maybe, you know, it's your money, it's identity. It could just be a hobby, your plans. I don't know what it is, but what is that? But then you've got to see, like, what would he be offering you in exchange? What, would he be, what is the impossible life that he's offering you? And there's got to be, he wants you to have a faith about that. that man, there's a life of authority, a life that matters, a life of fulfillment. And that comes as we surrender those things to him. The, a couple nights ago, um, I, I was watching with my two sons the documentary Sheep Among Wolves, which is a story of the underground church in Iran, of people that are following Jesus. And it's powerful, you know, it's a powerful testimony after testimony. This, this nation that is one of the most, like, persecutes people the most who are Christians. It's the place in the world where the church is growing the fastest, actually. Where there are just thousands of people that are coming to faith in Jesus. And they have come to the end of themselves. Like, they've come to the end of that system. And the mosques are empty because people are like, okay, this is what Islam looks like. That, we don't like where that brought us. And so they're, they're hungry and they're open. And these two Americans are kind of uh, the, the voices in the documentary. And they talk about they finally, they'd been learning and you know, learning about this movement, and they finally got to go meet some of the leaders of the church in the underground church in Iran. And they're like, well, these are the, like the, the Green Beret, like cutting edge, hardcore, like, you know, some of the most leaders with authority in the world today. 
They, like, they are seeing it happen. And so they had a certain mindset. And then when they, they met them, they are like, okay, I didn't expect this. Because it's this guy, and he was selling drugs. And it's this lady, and she was a prostitute. And it's this lady, she was raped repeatedly from the time she was five years old. And it's this guy, he was a drug runner. And that's the story. It's the people that were weak and broken who came to Jesus and found this impossible life and now are living as leaders and seeing it happen. And they, you know, just, I, I love seeing that because it's just so like the heart of God and the way God works is he takes anybody. He takes like anybody God will use if we just come to him and say, God, I need you. And my life that I have, I give it to you. And see what you do with it. And he will use us and he will bring us into this impossible life. And so that's what he has for us. And I, you know, I'm just, I, I, I love being here because I know like story after story after story of where this is happening and where like God is doing that in our lives, testimonies and stories of God changing us and bringing us into the life that he has. And I, you know, we have, one thing we say about our church, what we believe God's called us to, is we want to be a church where every member is a disciple, where everyone is, is doing what these disciples did, is like saying, God, you got my whole life. And then every disciple is making a disciple every two years. And that's, like, that's impossible. Like, that doesn't just happen because we're trying hard. But that happens when we trust God and give him our lives, and he brings us into more. And so I just want to pray for us and trust that God's going to speak to us. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, you're so good. You're so practical, too. You're so good at, at putting your finger on stuff in our life and setting us free. And Lord, today I, I ask that you would increase the faith of each person in this room. Lord, I, I ask that you would give us a greater understanding, greater revelation of who you are. That we would see you are the Messiah. You are the one who makes the impossible possible. You're the one who fulfills the desires of my heart. You're the one who can give me authority. You're the one who can give me a life different than my mom and dad, different than my culture, different than what I'm used to. God, you can do it. Lord, I just trust you to just lift up the level of expectation in our hearts of what you want to do. Lord, I, I ask that the stuff in us, the fears, the, the lusts, the, the loves of other things, controlling things. Lord, whatever those are, would you clearly put your finger on those? And also, I pray just for, for practical steps of obedience. Lord, I ask that you would give each person here practical steps of, okay, this is what it looks like for, for me to trust you in this area. This is the step for me to take today, this week. This is how I follow you. Lord, I'm trusting that you will bring us more and more and more into this impossible life and spread it to the world around us.
Lord, we thank you for this. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.